Well, good morning, everyone. Um, you know, an inch can make all the difference in the world, even a fraction of an inch. What I want to do is I want to show you some photo finishes, and I want you to see if you can determine who the winner is. Okay, so the first one I want to show you goes back to a women's 100-meter dash. This was the World Championships in 1993. And I want you to watch lanes three and four. In lane three is Gail Devers. In lane four is Merlene Otte. And see if you can figure out which one wins. Well, did you get it? No? Okay, how many of you think uh, lane three Devers won? Let me see your hands. Okay, how many of you think lane four Otte won? Let me see your hands. Okay, how many of you say, I have no clue? Okay, actually, if you said, I have no clue, they didn't have any clue either because it took them several minutes to determine the winner through the photo finish. So the, those two ladies and others were literally standing on the track waiting to see if they'd won and if they were the world champion. So who won? It was Devers in lane three. And if you look at that picture closely, she actually won by a shoe. Literally, her foot was the first one to cross the finish line. Maybe we could even say she won by a toe. Uh, now, the next one I want to show you, this next photo finish, is from a horse race. It's from 2016. It's the 2016 Belmont Stakes. And the two horses that finish in a photo finish are Creator and Destin. And see if you can figure out who wins this horse race. And the announcer said, too close to call, but we're going to call it anyway. Um, how many of you think Creator won? Okay, let me see. How many of you thought Destin won? How many have said, I'm going to quit voting because I don't have a clue? Okay. All right. Well, the actual winner of that race was Creator. And it was so close, you could say, literally, Creator won by a nose. Maybe we would say one by a hair, or maybe a better way to put it would be he won by, or won by a nose hair even. I mean, it was literally, I mean, it, it was literally that close. Now, I'm going to show you one more. Um, this is from racing. This is from NASCAR. The two drivers who finish in this photo finish are Kevin Harvick. He's going to be in the number four car, the Jimmy John's car. And then there's Carl Edwards. He's in the number 19 car, the Stanley car. See if you can figure out who wins this one. You get that one? Right. How, about, how about Edwards? Who thinks Edwards won in the Stanley Cup? Okay, how about Harvick and uh, Jimmy Johns? Okay, how many of you are still going to say, I have no clue? Okay, a lot of you. Well, this one was also too close to call. They had to look at it again. And the winner in this race was Harvick. In fact, look how close they were. Now, this was a 500-mile race, and it's like two or three inches that separated them. Do you know how many inches are in a 500 mile race? No? Yeah. Well, I figured it out. There are 31,680,000 inches in a 500 mile race and two to three inches separate them. They said that literally Harvick beat Edwards by like one one thousandth of a second. Now we call that a millisecond, right? And do you know how much a millisecond is? Do this real quick. Just blink your eyes real quick. That takes you 10 milliseconds. Amazing to think about um, how close that was. So see, an inch can make all the difference of the, in the world. In fact, an inch can alter your life. If I were to ask you, how far is it to heaven, what would you say? Well, you know, you, you may say, well, it's somewhere up there in the sky. And 
that's kind of the way we think. And we know that the Earth is 92 million miles from the sun. And we say, well, it's probably further than that, right? Well, in reality, heaven is only 18 inches away. And you may say, how can it be 18 inches away? Uh, here's why. Let me show you 18 inches. Doctors say that in the average person, your brain and your heart are about 18 inches apart. 18 inches. That's the difference between your brain and your heart, from your head to your heart. And did you know that your brain and your heart are amazing organs? For example, your brain weighs about three pounds. Okay, I'm holding seven cell phones. That's about three pounds. That's what your brain weighs. Um, there are many days where I wish I had the brains of just one of these things, actually. And you know, it's actually a myth that you only use 10% of your brain. Actually, scientists tell us that we use almost all of our brains. Now, now you may be thinking at this point, really, Jerry, we use all of our brains? What about that guy at work, you know? Or, <laughs> That person who cut me off in traffic, or what about that pastor at the ridge? Really? You know, and your heart is also an amazing organ. During the course of your lifetime, it will beat about three billion times. And they're now discovering that your heart may have a mind of its own. No kidding. They think your heart can actually remember. And I, I don't know what all this means, but if you think about the significance of that for a heart transplant patient, so if you received a new heart, you might actually receive a whole new set of cravings, of habits, of sensory responses. So, and actually, some heart transplant recipients talk about having some new desires. So, I guess that means if you got a new heart through a heart transplant, that might mean like if you've never craved donuts before, suddenly you begin to crave donuts. Or you know, you hear this old REO Speedwagon love song, and suddenly it reminds you of someone else's old girlfriend. That'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? Or um, you know what your worst nightmare would be? To get a heart transplant and find out that person was a New England Patriots fan? Uh, you know, more, maybe we shouldn't even go. I know what some of you are thinking. Just let me die, you know. I'd be, that, that would be better than that. Well, 18 inches. That's the distance from your head to your heart. What does that have to do with heaven and going to heaven? Well, head to heart, it's through your heart that you have relationships, and it's through a relationship with God that you go to heaven. Now, most of us here know something about God. We may even know some basics. We know some, maybe know some basics from the Bible, perhaps. You know, Christmas time, we sing joy to the world. At Easter, we know we do Easter egg hunts. We have an Easter dinner. We go to church. I mean, you're here this morning. We know it's about the resurrection of Jesus. We know all that stuff. But you know, all that knowledge just locked up in your head doesn't do you any good because it has to move 18 inches from your head to your heart. You have to be able to translate that knowledge from your head to your heart. Um, I had never really deer hunted much in my life until my youngest son, who loves the outdoors, told me he wanted a deer hunt. So I wanted to learn how to do that so we could hunt together. 
And uh, so I started talking to hunters, asked a lot of questions to figure out how to do it and so on. I also knew that if we went deer hunting and we shot a deer, we had to be able to field dress that deer, you know, right there in the woods before we took it out of the woods. And I didn't know how to do that either. So again, I asked a number of hunters how they did it. Then I went on YouTube and I watched about 10 different YouTube videos. You can learn anything on YouTube these days um, about how to field dress a deer. Then one day I shot a deer. That was the day of reckoning. And I remember my son Zach and I were standing over the, that deer looking at it and my heart began to beat a little faster. You know, I was excited because I shot it. But I was a little anxious too. I'm thinking, can I do this? What if I mess it up? Will I do it right? And, you know, it, it worked out okay. But there comes a point where you have to translate what you know in your head into reality. And that's true with our relationship with God too. We have to be able to translate what we know into reality and it has to be internalized in our heart. Let me read you something from the Bible. This is from the book of the Bible called Romans. And this is what Romans 10, 9, and 10 say. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that's Easter, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring the, your faith that you are saved. Now, you know, we may know about God but God just doesn't want us to know about Him. He wants us to know Him personally in a relationship with Him. And the fascinating thing is when you open your heart up to Him and that becomes a relationship, it changes everything in your life. Um, you go from being created by God to becoming a child of God. You're part of His family. So your sins are forgiven. Now you can call Him your Father. You have someone to walk through this life with you and, you know, when you have hurts, he's there to comfort you. When you're anxious, he's there to calm you. When, you're, when you have difficulties, he's there to strengthen you. And you have the promise that when you die, you'll spend eternity with him. And that all comes through relationship with him. I think one of the coolest verses in the Bible is found in a book called 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, that's that relationship again, has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Has begun. It's, it's almost like you get a heart transplant, isn't it? It moves from your head to your heart. It moves from knowledge and becomes reality so that you can have a relationship. Um, it was about 36 years ago that I decided I was going to ask out this young lady that I had seen around. Um, what attracted to me at first is she was just a very pretty young lady, and I'd, what we had, you know, we'd seen each other in some group settings and all that. Um, didn't really know her all that well, but from what I saw in group settings, I really liked what I saw. So I thought, hey, I'll ask her out. And I asked her out, and she said yes. Phew, you know. And uh, just to show you how romantic I am, um, the very first time I asked her out, I asked her to a basketball game. Yeah, I, I really did that. I don't know, maybe I subconsciously thought if she said yes to a basketball game, I was ready to marry her, I don't know. But, um, so I asked her out, we went out, we went to a basketball game, and I had not mastered the art of asking good conversational starting questions at that point. And like I said, we knew about each other, but we really didn't know each other that well, so 
I would ask her a question. It was like a yes or no question or a one or two word answer question and she'd answer. Then I say, okay, now what are we going to talk about? And she didn't know that much about basketball, so it wasn't like we could talk about zone defenses or, you know, pick and rolls, that kind of thing. And um, we've talked about this a lot ever since, and uh, we were just talking to each other about this the other day. That was really awkward, but we laugh about it now. But after the game ended, my sister and brother-in-law were at the game, and they came up to us, and we both laugh about our reaction because they said, hey, Janet, Jerry, we're going to go get some pizza. Do you guys want to go with us? We were both like, yes, you know, just a yes of desperation because we didn't know what else to talk about. Unfortunately, we had someone to carry the conversation at that point. But you know what? Now we've been married 33 years. We have three kids, and we can talk about anything, and sometimes we do, or sometimes we just enjoy being together, and we don't feel like we even have to talk about anything. Now, what changed? Well, we went from knowing about each other to really knowing each other. It went from our heads to our heart. That makes all the difference in the world. And it makes the relationship so much better. So, back to Romans 10, 9 and 10. Let me read it to you again and just notice what it says about our hearts. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, there's Easter again, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You know, when it uses the word heart, I think we know it doesn't just mean literally that organ inside your body or muscle that pumps blood. It's kind of the core of our being, isn't it? It represents who we are. You know, your brain's your intellect, but your heart's your intellect, emotions, and will. And so what we mean by that, it's your emotions, it's how you feel things, it's your, it's your will. And, it, you know, that makes all the difference in the world when it moves from your brain to your heart. Guys, do you remember proposing to your wife and how you did that? Um, a lot of guys get down on one knee, you know, and they look into her eyes. And maybe you said something like this. You said... Janet, I love you with all my heart. And you probably didn't say Janet. Hopefully you didn't, unless, <laughs> unless her name was Janet. But whatever her name was, you, you said that. And so, Janet, I love you with all my heart. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me? For me, it was in 1984. I was in a really nice restaurant with her in Dallas, Texas. We were both students at the time. And... Uh, Fortunately, she said yes. But think about this, guys. What if you had said to her, I love you with all my mind and want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me? What is she going to do? At that point, she's probably going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just say to me? She didn't want to hear that you love her with your mind. She wants to hear that you love her with your heart. Why? Because your heart's where your emotions are. It's where your will is. And you know, with your emotions, that's where you feel things. That's where your feelings are. A relationship void of feelings is really no relationship at all. And with your will, that's the choices you make. You do what you want to do. And you know, to love someone, you have to choose to do that. You can't force someone to love you, can you? Well, this is Easter Sunday. 
And there's so much to celebrate. There's so much meaning behind Easter Sunday. You know, Good Friday is the day we remember that Jesus died for our sins. But we remember on Easter Sunday that Jesus came back to life. And, and like I said, there's so much meaning to that. When he came back to life, it was like God the Father's stamp of approval on what Jesus had done. It was like our sins are now forgiven because he took all those on the cross. And, and because Jesus is alive today, presently, it means if we have a personal relationship with him, he's there to walk through this life with us, to give us strength, like we said earlier, to comfort us when we're hurting, to calm us when we're worried, and because Jesus conquered death, when he came back to life, that means one day we can have the hope and promise that we can conquer death too. But that's not an intellectual decision. It's a decision you make in your heart. You have to open your heart up to him and have a personal relationship with him. And you know, maybe you grew up going to church, maybe you didn't. But you know, if, if you grew up going to church, maybe you heard this stuff and you believe this stuff, but have you made it personal? Have you invited Jesus into your life and surrendered your life to him? And let me be really clear about this. This isn't something you do because everything has already been done for us. Jesus did everything for us when he went to the cross and died for our sins and then came back to life. He asked us to put our faith, our belief, in our hearts in what he has already done for us. And, you know, that's so cool to think about. Here's another verse in the Bible that makes it really clear. This is Ephesians, a book in the Bible, verses, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Not something you do in other words. And, and you can't take any credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And actually, I'm really glad it's that way. I'm glad it's not based on what I do because I don't think I could do enough good based on some of the bad to outweigh that, you know? So it's actually really a relief to know that. So let me ask you a question. If you've never made that decision to open your heart and invite Jesus in your life and make that a personal relationship, what is keeping you from doing that? Well, for some of you, maybe you're here today and you're going, you know, Jerry, honestly, I'm not sure I even believe in my head yet that what you're talking about actually happened. I mean, the resurrection, Jesus coming back to life, uh, that's a little bit of a stretch, isn't it? And, you know, if you're there, I can, uh, I can respect that. I can appreciate that you might be there. Um, and that's okay. We want you to be here. You're more than willing to ask your questions and be honest about that. But let me say this. Thousands of people in the first century opened their hearts up and became followers of Jesus. Do you know why? Because they saw him. I mean, he was dead, and then they saw him alive. And that's why they became followers of Jesus. And the resurrection is actually one of the most well-documented events in all of history. It could actually stand up in a court of law. But if you're skeptical and you're not sure, let me encourage you to do this. There's a book written by a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. He was actually an, an investigative reporter, journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He had a fascinating story. And he was an atheist. Um, and 
his wife became a follower of Jesus, and her life so radically changed, he was like, whoa, I got to check this out for myself. And he did, and he investigated, and he came to the decision in his head that the resurrection was true, and he moved that to his heart and invited Jesus into his life. So he wrote a book, and it's called The Case for Easter. It's a pretty quick read. It's a pretty small book. And if you say, hey, I'd like to investigate this more for myself, um, go by Guest Central this morning on your way out. It's across the atrium. And this book's free to you. Pick it up and take it, with you, take it with you this morning and feel free to read it on your own. So one thing that could be holding you back is you're just saying, Jerry, I'm not even sure I have it in my head yet, so I don't know how I'm going to get it to my heart. And so I would just say, spend some time checking it out. Maybe it's um, misperceptions that are keeping you from making that decision. You're thinking, well, if I make that decision, man, what's it going to mean? I mean, is my life over at that point? Does everything have to change, you know? Here's the cool thing. When you make that decision to have a personal relationship with Jesus, you open your heart up to him, he makes the changes for you. You don't have to do that on your own. And Maybe it's life experiences that are holding you back. Maybe you're saying, you know, I prayed about something and I don't think God answered that. Or he didn't answer it the way I wanted him to answer it. So what do you do with that? Or maybe you're thinking, you know, I had this problem and God didn't fix that problem for me. You know, God doesn't promise to fix every problem in our life. What he does promise us is that he'll be with us through the difficult times that he can turn bad things, or he can take bad things and make good out of them, that he can take difficult situations and help us grow through them. Maybe something that's keeping you from making that decision is just a control issue. You're like, I don't want to turn my life over to God. I don't want to surrender my life to Jesus. Understand this, God loves you more than you'll ever know. He wants what's best for you. And when you do that, He's going to lead you on a path that is best for you. So how do you know? How do you know if you made that decision to move it from your head to your heart? Well, let me give you three questions that you can ask yourself that will begin to tell you whether or not that has moved from your head to the, your heart. The first one is this. Has my decision changed me? When it moves to your heart, God begins to work in your life, and you begin to change. And like I said, it's not something you have to do. It begins to happen almost naturally. You'll find that you have a different perspective on life. Your thoughts will be different. Your attitude will be different. You'll find yourself more kind and patient. Perhaps you'll find yourself more other-centered rather than centered on yourself. A second question to ask yourself is, is my desire now to please God? That happens when it moves from your head to your heart. You now want to live in a way that is pleasing to God. You want to do what God wants you to do. You know, I was talking to a guy the other day, and he said, man, I remember when I made that decision, and it moved from my head to my heart. He goes, I just knew right then and there. He said, because now everything changed in my life. I wanted to live in a way that would please God. And he said, there were some things that were wrong in my life, and nobody even had to tell me. I just found myself wanting to change those. Yeah, that's what happens when it moves from your head to your heart. And another question to ask yourself is this, do I now have hope? Because when it's moved from your head to your heart, God's promise to you is just like Jesus conquered death, and that's what we celebrate at Easter, that you too can conquer death. You can spend eternity with him in heaven. Let me read you something else from the Bible. This is from a book called 1 Peter 
chapter 1. These are verses 3 and 4, and it says, In His great mercy He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And like I said, this happens naturally in your life when it moves to your heart because God wants to change you. He wants to make you a new person and give you a new life. But here's the amazing thing. When you believe in your heart, you move from being created to becoming a child. You become part of God's family. So you can call him your father and he's there with you throughout your life. You have forgiveness of your sins so you can live with freedom from the guilt of your past. And you have a future. You have the promise of eternal life. You know, sometimes it's easier to understand this a little bit with a visual. So what I want to do this morning, I just want to show this to you visually. How this decision that you make in your heart, how when you believe in your heart, it can make all the difference in the world. So I decided to go old school this morning, okay? brought out the chalkboard. And uh, let's do this. Um, we're going to let these represent two cliffs. And on one side, we're going to put us. Okay, this is us. And on this side, we'll put God. And this gap that exists between us and God that is something called sin. And Let's be honest, we all know we've sinned, right? We've all done things that are displeasing to God. We've all done wrong things. And the Bible says because of our sin, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. In other words, He's perfect. He's holy. None of us can measure up. None of us can span that gap on our own. A lot of people think, well, if I'm good enough, then God will be pleased with me. The problem with trying to be good enough is all our efforts fall short. The Bible says we all fall short. Well, if I go to church, maybe that'll be good enough. That falls short too. No matter what we try to do, you know, maybe we'll all try to treat people right. And certainly that's something we should do. But all of our efforts on our own fall short. But that's why Jesus came into our world. He came into the world to bridge that gap by dying on a cross. And when he died on a cross, he said, what I'm asking you to do is believe in your heart. And when you take that step, it's just called a step of faith. By believing in your heart, you can cross over that line of faith and you have that personal relationship with Him. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? And I want to give you the opportunity on this Easter Sunday morning just to have a quiet moment with God. And let me just ask you, have you made that decision to move it from your head to your heart? And, you know, I know if you're here and, you know, you haven't heard much of this, haven't been to church much in your life, I understand if this is all new to you, you're, you, you may, may need some time to process that. I totally get that. Um, but, but maybe you're here this morning and go, you know what, Jerry? I think I get it now. I think I finally get it. And I'm ready to make that decision, to move it from my head to my heart, to open my heart up, to surrender my life, to invite Jesus into my life. And you can actually do that right now. It's just a matter of praying. You can do that silently in your heart. And you can just tell God. You, you can tell Him something like this. Just say, God, I know I've sinned. I know my sin keeps me from You. But I'm going to rely by faith on what Jesus has done for me. 
I want to open my heart to you right now. I invite you into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for coming alongside of me. Thank you for giving me the promise of eternal life. Amen. And you know, when you make that decision, God's incredible promise to us is that not only are our sins forgiven, not only do we have him to walk through this life with us, but he'll be there with us for all eternity because we can spend eternity with him. I'd like to pray for us. Let's pray. God, how we thank you for Easter and how we thank you for the incredible message of Easter and what it means to us that Jesus came into our world, died on a cross, and then he came back to life. And when he came back to life, he offered us forgiveness of our sins. He offered us someone to walk through this life with us. And he offered us the promise and hope of eternal life. And my prayer is that each one of us here this morning would understand that. And even if this is all new to us today, my prayer is that we would just begin a journey to find out and investigate what this means and reach the point where we can open our hearts up to you because we know that there's nothing in the world better than a relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.